morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. We're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the New Covenant in my blood. And so if I, if I finish correctly, uh, we, this will be the last part of, uh, this is part five of our teaching series. Uh, if I don't quite finish, we will have one more week. And so, um, uh, and so, if, if, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousedisciplesheep.org as well as our YouTube channel at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings and your, your contributions. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousedisciplesheep.org. And you, uh, if you go to the top right corner, uh, it says give. It's highlighted blue. It's a blue button. You can get, you, you click on that button, you can give them anywhere around the world. If you register as a check, it's simple to make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom footer of every page is our mailing address. If you're in the United States, just so you know all of our, your contributions are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 501c3 church. Well, with all the announcements aside, let's go ahead and jump right on in. This is part five. Again, all the other uh, teachings are on our website and YouTube channel. <coughs> Excuse me. Um... And so I have a lot to cover this morning, uh, and we're trying to wrap this up this morning, but we're not in a race, so if we need to extend it one more week, we will, just depending on how far we, we got it. So let's go to our key verse real quick, and it's from First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. And for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, our key verse. In the same manner, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay? So our key verse that we've been talking about throughout <coughs> me, this whole series is the new covenant in his blood. Okay? And this comes from what Jesus said in Matthew 26, This is my blood. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the mission of sin. We, we talk about this a lot when we uh, we say communion, but this was done at the last Passover, just before Jesus went to the cross, and we've been talking about the blood of the new covenant in this teaching series. And so again, um, two weeks ago, we spent a lot of time talking about the new covenant in relation to this verse. And we did that by looking at Hebrews chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, so I'm going to recap some of that real quick. In Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about how we have a new priesthood. Okay, We're, and because we have a new priesthood, we have a new law. Okay, and this new law, we, we are under a better hope, we have a better hope by which we can draw near to God. Okay, and Jesus is the surety of this new covenant that we're talking about. This new covenant that we are in. Okay, and so because and this new covenant through Jesus is an unchangeable priesthood, and therefore He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. So we expounded on that in weeks past, starting <coughs> starting with chapter eight. The writer of Hebrews gets right to the point. He says, "This is the main point of the things that we are saying." And so everything he said in the first seven chapters is getting to the main point. And so if you're missing the main point of Hebrews, 
you are not reading it because it says this is the main point. How this new high priest is seated at the right hand of God. And we're going to get there uh, later this morning in chapter 10. Okay? And, and in, in Hebrews chapter 8, at the beginning of the chapter, he begins to explain how the true tabernacle, which is in heaven, is, is, is the pattern by which the earthly tabernacle through Moses was a copy and shadow. Okay? The true tabernacle is in heaven. So Moses just erected by the instruction of God, he erected after the pattern that's in heaven that God gave him the instructions to. Okay? And by which we have a more better covenant and we have better promises because this covenant and these promises are based on the tabernacle in heaven. Okay? And then he gets right to the point again. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant. And he says, I will make, I will make with Israel. There's natural Israel and there's true Israel. Okay? And, and, and the, the, the book of Romans talks about that. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. One of the main points that God has for us is that we, he would be our God and we would be his people. And he had to have a covenant. He had to redeem us by his blood so that we could, we, we could draw near to God and we could be his people and he could be our God. Okay? None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of his brothers saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. And he ends it by saying, verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay? And so in chapter 8, he says that we are in a better covenant, and other better promises. In chapter 7, he says that Jesus is the surety of this new covenant. Okay? So that's all awesome. Because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the new covenant and his blood. And then starting last week, we started talking more about the blood. The new covenant and the blood. You can't separate the two. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So in chapter 9, and actually before I go there, so we're talking about the new blood. The new covenant is blood. Because Peter said, knowing that you are redeemed, that you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, and this is from Ephesians, according to the riches of his grace. And Paul echoes again in Colossians, in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins. And because all of this is true, we have boldness, we can come boldly to the Son of, of Grace, that we might receive and obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. I wish I had more time to expound on this, that he says earlier in the, in, the, in the whole book, in chapter 4, but because of everything that he's trying to say in the main point, in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, uh, and even 12, if we get there today, and we can come boldly to the Son of Grace to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So now let's look at, look at chapter 9 as we recap some of what we looked at last week. For the blood of bulls and goats, that's the Old Testament, and ashes of a heifer sprinkling, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ? If, if there was any significance to the blood of a bull and a goat and a heifer, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ sanctify us? So why am I getting that? 
Last week we introduced that there's four things that the blood of Jesus accomplished. The first thing that the blood of Jesus accomplished is that it, it, it sanctified the believer. Okay? So the first thing that we talked about is that the blood of Jesus sanctified the believer. And if the, if, 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 if the, if the ashes, if the blood of a bull and a goat and the ashes of a, of a cow, a heifer, could sanctify, there was a significance of sanctification in the old covenant. How much more in the better covenant, in the new covenant, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offers himself without spot to cleanse your conscience from dead works to the living God. Titus echoes this, not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration, of renewing of the Holy Spirit. We've been regenerated. We've been washed by re regeneration. But the fact that the, the washing is the regeneration. We're no longer born of corruptible seed. We're born of incorruptible seed by the, by the enduring word of God, according to, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay? And so, and so with that in mind, we go on back to Hebrews chapter 9. And for this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So the first thing that the, the blood of Jesus accomplished, according to last week, is that it sanctified the believer. The second thing that the blood of Jesus did is that it secured the promise. It secured the promise. The promise of our eternal inheritance. Peter echoes this again. An inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul also echoes this in his first prayer in the book of Ephesians about how he wants our, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened to, the, to know this inheritance. God invested you. Through Jesus, God invested, and there is an eternal inheritance, a promise that we can inherit. It's not, it's not, it's not an inheritance incorruptible. An inheritance that incorruptible is undefiled. And it does not fade away. So the blood of Jesus not only sanctified the believer, but it also secured the promise. He goes back, and because that's true, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, he, piggyback, he, he continues the thought that whether the testament or covenant, those words are used interchangeably, it just depends on the, on the translation of the word, okay, that there must also be a death of the testator. If there's a testament, if there's a will, if there's a covenant, there must by the necessity the death of testator. Otherwise, it's just words. But how I many you know the word of God, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the word of God is not written by ink, but it's written by the blood of Jesus. And we are living epistles of that covenant, of that word. Okay? And and so, in other words, for in other, in other words, in, until the, the, there's a death of testator, that testament, that covenant, that will has no effect. Okay? For a testament or a covenant is enforced after men are dead. Well, Jesus did die on the cross. He did, and the proof of that is that he rose again from the dead. He didn't just rise again from sleeping. He rose again from the dead. And so Jesus is our death certificate. And because of that, the, the new covenant is in full force. Because Jesus died and he rose again. Okay? And so, going on from there, therefore not even the first covenant was de dedicated without blood. 
But when Moses had spoken every breach of all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the cows and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. <coughs> so in other words, you know, the, the, the first covenant, if the first covenant was dedicated with blood, well, this, how much more has the second covenant been dedicated by blood, has been dedicated by the blood of Jesus? And he goes on to say, verse 20, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Which, I love the teaching, because it said the blood of the testament which the Lord has enjoined you. And this whole phrase, this whole verse, echoes our main verse, and how we are the cup of the new covenant in his blood. You see how those are the blood of the testament, the blood of the, uh, of the, new, uh, the new, new, new covenant that he has enjoined to us. That we are the remember. Okay? Which Jesus also echoed at the cross, which Paul is writing about. And he goes on to say in verse 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Okay? Because Jesus is the surety of, the, of, of, of this better covenant. And we have a better covenant that's established on better promises. And so, so he sprinkled everything. He sprinkled the book and the people, but he also sprinkled all the tabernacle, the vessels, everything was sprinkled with blood. And we're going to expound on this, and later at the end of this message, if we get there this morning, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no purification. There is no sanctification. Okay? And so the, the shedding of blood was necessary. But that's where we left off. Okay, all that was a recap from the last two weeks. So, like I said, there's four things that the blood of Jesus accomplished. The first one is that it sanctified the believer. The second one, excuse me, is that it, it secured the promise. And this morning we'll get in and talk about how it set us free from our sins. The blood of Jesus set us free from our sins. Excuse me. So, starting with verse 23, therefore it was ne necessary that the copies of the things, <coughs> me, the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these things. What copies? The tabernacle. The earthly tabernacle is the copy of the pattern. But the heavenly, be purified with these things. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. The earthly the cop, in other words, the natural tabernacle that he's been talking about, especially in chapter eight, okay, it had to, it had to be it had to be purified with the blood of a bull and a goat. They were all copies and shadows. The bull and the goat was a copy. The the, the blood of the bull and the goat was a copy. All of it was a copy, the shadow. But the but the heavenly tabernacle, the true tabernacle, the blood of bull and goats is not going to be good enough. It had to be purified with better sacrifices, and that was that's the blood of Jesus. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, the natural copy, the natural tabernacle, which are copies of the true. But Christ has entered heaven itself, the true tabernacle, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Okay, 
Remember the the in the, in the old covenant, the the the, the, the lamb was slain, slain at the brazen altar, which was in the outer court, and the blood was taken, and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the most holy place, which represented the presence of God. That was all uh, a copy in a, of the true tabernacle where Jesus' blood, where, where, where was Jesus' sacrifice? Was he sacrificed uh, in heaven? No. He was sacrificed in the outer court at the brazen altar called the cross, the place of the skull. Okay? And his blood, he entered heaven itself as our high priest, just like a high priest would enter. And his blood, he appeared as a lamb itself at the true mercy seat of God in the presence of God. That's powerful. Okay, everything that we see in the Levitical sacrifices was a copy, a shadow of the true thing that Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. Okay, he goes on to say in verse 25, now, not that we, he should offer himself often, but as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, an animal, he then would have had to suffer, Jesus then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay? So, see, in the Old Testament, and see, everything that the writer of Hebrews has been saying in chapter 7, talking about how we are under a new priesthood, we have new laws, we have a new covenant, he's been talking about the copy and the shadow of the tabernacle and, and the true tabernacle of heaven since chapter 8. He talked a lot about the blood and the significance of the blood in chapter 9. And we're still in chapter 9, okay? But Jesus, the great high priest, is unlike the high priest in the, the Old Testament who had to sacrifice the animal often every year, every day, twice a day for the burnt offering, and once a year as uh, as uh, atonement for our sins, okay? But Jesus doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over again. We don't have a new Jesus every year. We have one Jesus who who, who was sacrificed one time, and once and for all, he put away sin. <clears throat> so the blood of Jesus not only sanctified the believer, not only secure the promise, but the blood of Jesus also set us free from sin once and for all, forever. Okay? He goes on to say in verse 27, As it is appointed for man to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. There's a lot here. I don't have time to dig into all of it this morning. But for, let me talk about the first part. Is that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Jesus died for the whole world. Has the whole world received that? No. Many have scoffed at it. Many have rejected it. Many have denounced it. But Jesus died for many. Once for all. Okay. At the same point in time, there's a little footnote I just want to make here is that whatever state you die in, 
because you will die once. Okay? Whatever state you die in, if you're a believer, you will go to the presence of God. If you are not, a, if you're an unbeliever and you reject what Jesus did for you, you will spend eternity without God. Okay? And so we get the, the verse from Ecclesiastes 11.3, that the clouds are full of rain, they enter the hills upon the earth, and if a tree falls to the south and north, and the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. However you die, believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus, that is how, that's where you will lie. That's where you will be. This is very prophetic to the cross, if you, if you, if you, if you think about that. Okay, so again, Jesus is the surety of a better covenant. That's what we've been talking about. See, the goal of Christianity is to know Jesus. That's the goal of Christianity, is to know him. And if you know Jesus, you will walk in the light as he's in the light. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, by everything we've been saying from Hebrews chapter 7 to Hebrews chapter 9, is Jesus. Jesus is the difference. Okay? We receive the grace by faith. Jesus did the work. He, he did the work. He's the surety of that new covenant. Okay? He saved us from our sins. He secured the promises. He, he freed us from all sin. And he sanctified us by his blood. So that we can live in a better covenant with him. So Jesus is the surety of the new covenant. We are in a better covenant on better promises. And, and because and when there's a when there's a testament in the covenant, there must be surety. And this testament, this covenant, this better covenant, this better promises that Jesus is the surety of, this better covenant is in force because Jesus died and he rose again. Praise God. And so this is the new covenant and his blood that we are talking about. Okay. Which leads us to chapter 10. And chapter 10 ushers us into our fourth point that we're trying to make. Is not only did Jesus sanctify the believer. Not only did Jesus secure the promise. Not only did Jesus free us from sin. But Jesus finished the work. Jesus finished the work. Jesus completed this thing. Okay, He finished all things. He fulfilled it. He's finished the work. See, um, in other words, the blood of Jesus finished the deal. The, the blood of Jesus completed it. What was incomplete is now complete. What was unfinished is now finished. And nothing more needs to be done. So, so let's begin to look at this in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at this beginning with verse 1. Now for the law, having a shadow of good things to come. How do you know we're, because we're under a new priesthood? We're under a new law. And not the very image of the things. I want to go back and read this again. For the law, <coughs> excuse me, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. The law is not the image. We're not worshiping the law. The law can never, with these same sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, 
which they offer continually, year after year, make those who approach perfect. The law can't make anyone perfect. The law can never, with the Old Testament sacrifices, can never make anyone perfect, even though they were offered continually. And because it, and the fact and the fact that they were offered continually proves that they were insufficient of making anyone perfect. Because if you're perfect, then you wouldn't need to have, you wouldn't need a sacrifice again. Okay, and so uh, the law wasn't able to do that. This kind of echoes in, in Hebrews chapter nine. The law it wasn't symbolic for the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regards to his con the conscience. Okay, let's look at verse two. For them went, would they have not ceased to be offered, but the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. Okay, and so it goes back to verse one. Let's go back to verse one real quick. The law, that's what we're talking about, could never make anyone perfect. They were, the sacrifices that the law demanded, which was all a copy and a shadow of the real deal, and how many know, again, we're under a new priesthood and we're under a new law, according to Hebrews chapter 7. And these, these sacrifices that were offered continually year after year, gave us to, but they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshiper was once purified, but had no more conscience of sins. In the Old Testament, we still had a conscience of sin. Without Jesus, we still have a conscience of sin. <coughs> and Paul, in his letters, said that a, a, a sin conscience is an evil conscience. We're not supposed to be conscious of sin. We're supposed to be conscious of Jesus. Because Jesus took our sins, and he removed them once for all. He finished the work. He finished this thing. Okay, verse 3. But in those sacrifices, Old Testament, there is a reminder of sins every year. There's this constant reminder of sin. Because they're, they're constantly having to have a sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The law, those sacrifices, reminded you that you're a sinner. <coughs> Excuse me. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices could not take away sins. It's not possible. Okay? That's why we need a better covenant. It was insufficient. It couldn't remove sin. All it could do was condemn you. It's called a ministry of condemnation, a ministry of death, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7-9. through nine. Okay? So, so the law, the law and the Old Testament sacrifices, is impossible that the blood of Muslim ghosts could to, to take away your sins. Okay? And we're talking about the new covenant and his blood. Because the old law, the, the, the old testament of the law, the sacrifices reminded you of your sins every year. But we're supposed to partake of his new covenant, his blood, and remember him. We're not supposed to remember our sin. We're supposed to remember Jesus. Okay? And so it said in verse 5, Therefore, when he, Jesus, 
just came into the world. He said, sacrificing an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Jesus, God has no pleasure in the sacrifices of animals and burnt offerings for your sins. They don't, they don't cut it. They're not going to get you to heaven. They're going to be rejected in the presence of the true tabernacle of God. And I said, Behold, I have come, Jesus speaking, and the volume of the book is written to me. He said, you know, if you say this out, Jesus is actually quoting from Psalm chapter 40, if you want to be specific. Okay? He goes on to say in verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sins you did not desire, nor have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Who gave the law? God. God gave the law. It was sprinkled by the blood. Okay? But ultimately, he didn't desire that. That, that. that can be real confusing to a lot of people. Because was, why did God give us something to do that didn't accomplish it? Didn't do anything. It was, in one sense, seemed meaningless. You know, but we needed that to point out that we need a Savior because a bone of goat is your Savior. And, but God did allow it through the Old Testament law as a yearly sacrifice, not only to continue to remind us of sin, but as a looking forward to the Savior, the Messiah, who would come. Remember I said in the Old Testament they looked forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. And God allowed it, the Old Testament sacrifices, as a temporary band-aid, if you will, to atone our, our sins. But it didn't ultimately purge the sins. Not until Jesus came. Everything points to Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points backward to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Okay? Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Jesus fulfilled the first covenant so he could establish the second. How did Jesus fulfill the first covenant? He died because the penalty of sin was death. In order to take it away, he had to die. He had to fulfill it. The only way to fulfill the old covenant was to die because the law demanded death for sin. And not the death of a bull and goat, but a death of a man. Okay? The bull goat didn't sin. We sinned. Okay? And so man had to die. And Jesus, who is God, who is God and was God, became a man so that he could die for us. It was awesome. Let's move forward. With this said, verse 10, by that will we have been we have been sanctified <coughs> through the offering 
and the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I mean, in the Old Testament, in a sense, they were on this continuous hamster wheel. Sin, sacrifices, sin, sacrifices, sin, sacrifices, and really getting nowhere. They're like a hamster wheel just going in circles. But then Jesus came. And he sanctified us with his own blood. In the true tabernacle. Not a tabernacle made with hands. And by offering his body. As a sacrifice for us. For once and for all. That's awesome. If everything he's been saying. All the way to this point comes to this conclusion that Jesus came. His only way to set us free. The only way to sanctify us. The only way to secure the promises. The only way to set us free from sin. The only way to finish this thing was to die once and for all. Okay. Now let me just say this. We go back for a moment. You know, there's some Old Testament principles that are in the law that there's something that we just have to let go. God, I want to go back to you something here about this whole remembrance thing, this whole conscious I mean, there's some things that we need to let go. God says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, that in this new covenant, he won't remember our sins anymore. And there's something that we need to let go, and we need to let this Jesus, let me get back to where we were, take our sins away once and for all. For we have no more conscience of sins. Our eyes do not need to be on what we do to perform for God to forgive us. Our eyes need to be focused on Jesus. Church, we are under a new priesthood. We are under a new law. And we are under a new covenant. And it's through this man, Jesus, our Savior, the propitiation of our sins, our sacrifice, our scapegoat, our substitute. And we have a new hope in this Jesus. And there's nothing more that needs to be done because Jesus did it once and for all. You can't improve on what Jesus did on the cross. If the Old Testament sacrifices could not improve on what Jesus did, if the, if the Old Testament sacrifices were enough, Jesus would not have to have come. Our faith would be in a bull and a goat. In a man, a priest. But our faith is not in man. Our faith is not in an animal. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And through him we are sanctified. We are sanctified. And because we have been sanctified, we have been past tense. There's nothing more that needs to be done. 
His body was sacrificed once and for all. And we are saved from sin. And it is finished. And if you stay this word sanctified out, it means to purify, cleanse, make holy, to dedicate externally and internally. We are sanctified, which was our first point when I'm reading, we have to now, we are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. In Corinthians, Paul says, but of him you are in Christ, who became of a, for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We're not glorying in the bold of God. We're not glorying what we've done. We are glorying in what Jesus had did in, in his in, in the wisdom of God and making us the righteous of God in him, sanctifying us and redeeming in this eternal redemption that we have in Jesus. Okay? Um, Let's go to verse 11. And every priest in the Old Testament stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over again, which can never take away sins. So the Old Testament priests, they're standing daily offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over again, which can do nothing. Which cannot never take away sins. But this man capital M, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice himself for sins forever, sat down. See, the old priests were standing. But this priest, after he finished one sacrifice, see, the old priest did work every day. They were daily offering sacrifices which could never take away sins. But this one Jesus offered one sacrifice himself. And he is doing something that the old priest never did. He sat down. At the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So Jesus sanctified us, secured the promise, took away our sins, something that the old priest could never do, that the old sacrifice could never do. And he finished the work. He, why did he sat, sit down? He sat down because the work is finished. What work is finished? The work that they had to do every day that accomplished nothing. Jesus finished the work. And he sat down to make his enemies his footstool. Okay? Paul says in Colossians, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> because of what Jesus did, we are complete in Jesus Christ, who completed the work, who finished the work, who sanctified us, redeemed us, and made us righteous. See, the goal of Christianity, and this will knock over some sacred cows. So there's some there's some cow tipping we have to do from time to time. And some of those sacred cows, the goal of Christianity is not overcoming sin. The goal of Christianity is not overcoming the devil. You can't do it. You can't overcome sin on your own accord. You can't overcome the devil on your own accord. I'm all about righteousness. I'm all about holiness. 
I'm all about living godly. The grace of God teaches us to live godly. It's called the fruit of righteousness. It's called the fruit of holiness. It's a fruit. It's not the root. But the goal of Christianity is not overcoming sin. Because you can't do it. The goal of Christianity is knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. And when I'm done with this teaching series, I'm going to have a teaching series on knowing Jesus and making him known. We need to know Jesus. Because Jesus overcame sin. You can't overcome it. Jesus can. And he did. Okay? He did it for you. Okay? And when he did it, he sat down. Why? Because the work is done. And he's expecting, he's expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. Okay? We need to understand who we are in Christ. And there's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament talking about who we are in Christ. And because when we know who we are in Christ, we can rise up in authority. We can rise up in authority. God tells us to rise up. My wife, a few weeks ago, had a word from the Lord where she's walking by. Rise up. And you can't rise up if you don't know who you are. And we can... And when we rise up knowing who we are, then we can overtake the devil. Then we can overcome sin. And we can walk in the victory that Jesus provided. He didn't provide it. Jesus provided it. And we can sit down resting in his goodness as he makes our enemies our footstool so that we can rise up and overcome the devil. Jesus finished it. Jesus completed the work. Let's go on, verse 14. For by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? The work, the work of the blood of Jesus is... Okay, sorry. Read my notes here. Those who are sanctified. This word perfected. Let me just look at this word perfected for a moment. If you say this out in the Greek, it means to make perfect, to finish to fulfill, to consecrate, to carry out, to accomplish, to bring an end and bring to a close by an act or an event. Jesus finished. Jesus completed the work. Jesus conquered the devil. He conquered sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And John says, you are God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you understand the things I'm trying to convey to you this morning in this teaching, the covenant in his blood, it will change your life. It will change your focus. It will change how you live. You're not going to live like the devil. You're not going to live in sin. Because just Jesus 
They are free you from sin so you can keep sinning. He frees you from sin so you can walk a victorious life. Okay. Knowing Him. Let's look at verse, let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 15. 10, 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after He has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts in their minds, and I will write them. He's quoting from chapter 8 that he just wrote. He's quoting from his own book. Okay? He's restating what he just said in Hebrews chapter 8. He said this is the main point of all the things we're saying. This is the covenant. So he's repeating what the covenant is. Okay? Verse 12, or 17, excuse me. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is no remission of, of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is huge. Where, he says, he said, the new covenant says, and he's echoing what he just said in chapter 8, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. If God's not remembering them, why are we having the conscience of them? Why are we conscious of something that he doesn't even remember? That's, that's, that's just, this is wrong. That's foolish. But now where there is no there where there is remission of these things, what things? Sins and lawless deeds. There is no longer an offering for sin. And some of us are making an offering for sin every day without the animals. Some of us are living and teaching as <coughs> excuse me. Let me say it again. Sorry, I got interrupted by that. Some of us are living and teaching as if Jesus accomplished nothing. We're still trying to offer something. We're still trying to improve on what Jesus did through the new covenant in his blood. There is no, because of what Jesus did, because we are, we, our sins are, remission, are remitted. We have an eternal redemption. There is no longer an offering for sin. It's finished. Jesus finished the work. Okay? Your sins have been remitted. Your sins have been pardoned. Your sins have been expunged. As if they were never committed. There's no more offering for sin needed. Jesus' blood paid it all. Jesus' blood entered the true tabernacle of God and the true presence of God in heaven, and his blood was enough for you. Nothing more needs to be paid. All we can do is believe it and receive it and walk in the light of what he has done. Walk. As if Jesus already sanctified you. Walk as if Jesus already secured the promise. Walk as if Jesus already took your sins and finished the work. And when you know this, and when you understand this, it will change how you live. It will change how you relate to God. It will change how you relate to yourself and to other people. When you know, believe, 
that Jesus sanctified you. When you know and believe that Jesus secured the promise, and when you know and believe that Jesus removed your sins, and there's nothing no more often needed to be done, it will change how you relate to God, how you relate to one another, how you relate to yourself, and how you live your life. He goes on to say in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, everything he's been saying in the last several chapters, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let me go back for a moment. Because Jesus finished the work in sanctifying us, securing the promises, and, and removing the freeness of sin once and for all, what's our response to that? The I, there's two things I want to highlight as our response to the new covenant in his blood. The first one is that we can have boldness to enter his presence. We can have boldness to come to the Holy of Holies, to his throne of grace, and we receive mercy and help and grace in our time of need. Because of what Jesus did, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, by a new covenant, by the blood of Jesus, because we have a new covenant in His blood, we can have boldness to come. Have you failed recently? Have you messed up? You can come boldness to receive mercy in your time of need. Do you have a need? Then you can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive help. Do you need healing? Well, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive healing. Do you need forgiveness? You can come boldly to the throne of grace. The second thing that we can do is that we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled that's the blood. I should have highlighted that in red. From an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast on the confession of our hope. That we have a new hope. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The first thing is that we can have boldness. To enter his presence. The second thing is we can have confidence. In his faith. We can have confidence. We can draw near to God in full assurance of faith in His faithfulness. Because this whole thing called Christianity, this whole thing called redemption and salvation was not made possible because of you. But it was based on His faithfulness to the cross. It's the covenant of His blood. It's not the covenant of your obedience. Okay. Tim, Paul said, so Tim, 
said to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And he cannot deny himself. So what happens if your faith fails? He's faithful. What happens if you fail? He's faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, it's not about me. It's not the covenant of my blood. It's not the covenant of my obedience. It's the covenant of his blood. Now, I'm all about obedience. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about walking in holiness and, and righteousness. I'm all about living godly. The grace of God teaches us to live godly. But it's called the fruit of righteousness. It's called the fruit of holiness. It's not the root. The only thing that can make you holy is the blood of Jesus. That's what I'm trying to accomplish here. I'm not saying that you, he made you holy, now you can live in the way you want to. I did not say that. If you said I said that, you're a liar. You're a very false witness. You're adding words to something I said, did not say. And I'll let the Holy Spirit keep you accountable for that. Okay? That's not what I'm teaching. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're free from sin so we can live in sin. That's an oxymoron. I'm saying we're free from sin. Yes, to live holy. Yes, to live godly. Yes, to live righteously. But we're free to be who he's called us to be, the people of God, the church of God. And we are free not to live in sin, but we are free from sin. We are sanctified. We are redeemed. We don't even have a desire to live that. But what I am teaching, it's not about you. It's about him. And we can walk in victory in him, not in you. If you think you can live sinless without Jesus, you're a fool. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist, Antichristo means instead of or against Christ. I'm all about living holy. I'm all about living righteously. I'm all about repentance but not apart from Christ. Once you remove Christ from the equation, once you tell me to put my faith in you or put my faith in myself, you just, you just omitted the cross. I'm, my faith is not in my, my, me. My faith is in His faithfulness. And the fruit of the Spirit is faith, or faithfulness, full of faith. And if I'm faithless, He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. My trust is in him. My reliance is on him. Not so I can be complacent. Not so I can be dormant. Not so I can be uh, useless. My faith is in him. So I can, because the just shall live by his faith. Right, let me catch up with myself here. So we'll conclude this chapter of Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a lot of end time language here. And in these last days, as we see the day approaching, we, and we see the days get crazier, and we see the days getting darker, and all the apostles, Jesus and all the apostles, 
promised that in these last days perilous times will come. We've been promised that. Don't think it's strange that people are getting crazier. Don't think it's strange that people are getting sinnier. If that's even a word. But as we see the day approaching, this is kind of a third thing that we need to do. I didn't highlight it in green like I did the other. But we need to assemble. We need to encourage one another. Not fight each other. Okay? We need to assemble. Because light is, no, I don't care how dark the world gets, light is brighter. And the blood of Jesus and his faithfulness is enough. He can keep our feet from falling. We are the body of Christ. We are all able ministers of the new covenant in these last days, no matter how perilous the times may get. And we've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. He, the, the promises are, I don't care how ugly the world gets, the promises are still secure. We're still sanctified. And we're still free from sin. Do you remember Israel? When they were in bondage to Egypt? They were in Goshen. And no matter how ugly it got in Egypt, Goshen was unaffected. I'm not sure how that all relates to today. But I do know, going backwards, that I can have boldness to come into his presence. I can have, I draw near to him with a true heart, full shirts of faith, based on his faithfulness, even when I'm faithless. And I do know that I'm not going to forsake the assembly of ourselves as I see the day approaching. That's a strong word from the writer of Hebrews. Now with a little bit of time I have left, I have a little over 15 minutes left, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about the new covenant and his blood. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Now what's in between Hebrews chapter 12? Between Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12? The, what we call the book of faith. The hall of fame of faith. And we'll, 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 we'll pick it back on that just a little bit in just a moment. But uh, right now I want to pick up verse 18. He says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. He's talking about Mount Sinai, where the law was given. And that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice, I'll come back to that, of words, so that those who heard, heard it back that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying and so ter so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. It was so fearful that even Moses, their leader, natural leader, was afraid. But verse 22, But you have come, not to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, you have come to the city of the living God in heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to an innumerable company of angels. You have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all. And you have come to the spirit of just man made perfect. Excuse me just for a moment. 
He had come to all these tables, not just the mount. <coughs> Excuse me. But you have also come to Jesus, the mediator. And we've talked about the mediator. I have expounded on it a lot. But the mediator of the new covenant. And to, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is my key verse as we close out this message. So I'm, this is the message I'm going to preach today. I'm going to try to preach it in 15 minutes. Okay, but we'll see how we do. So there's three things that are fear. We have, we have come to a different mountain. We have come to all these things. I'll expand on that in just a moment. But we have come to the mediator of a new covenant. The blood of sprinkling. sprinkling. Okay, we've been talking about that throughout this book so far. Okay, that speaks. The blood speaks. Better things than that of Abel. Okay, I want to expand on that in just a moment. Okay, but before we do that, let's, let's finish this out. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, but do not, do not escape who refused him who spoke on earth much more. Shall we not escape if we turn from the him who speaks from the heaven, whose voice <coughs> excuse me, then shook the earth, but now has promise, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Verse 27. Now this yet once more indicates the rule of things that are being shaken, and that the things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace and by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to expand on all of it. I want to get back to our key verse here. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Okay, so again, as I'm going to our key verse here, and I want to get really to this phrase that speaks of better things than that of Abel. This blood, because we're talking about the blood of his covenant. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? But he said back in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 16, that we have a better covenant on better promises. That's what that's the covenant. We have a better covenant, okay, based on better promises. That's what we're talking about. Okay? And he also said in chapter 9, verse 13, 14, this blood has sanctified us. Much more shall the blood of Jesus sanctify us and cleanse us from dead works. There's a lot I can expound on. I have been expounding on this for the last two or three weeks. So I'm not going to expound on what I just said uh, again. Okay? Which brings us to our key verse again. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant, the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. One main thing I want to say in all of this, and I'm going to say a few more things, but one main thing is that the blood of Jesus speaks. And it speaks better things than that of Abel. Even forensic science, and there's a lot of movies that it shows out there now, DNA speaks. It can convict a murderer. Let's real quick go back to where this blood spoke. Real quick, let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and came to pass when they were in the field 
that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cried out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. We find the first murder in Genesis chapter 4. We see that blood has a voice. Blood has a voice. God told that before DNA figured that out. And what do you think Abel's blood cried out? I believe it cried out vengeance. Vengeance. It makes sense. If you're murdered, do you think your blood's going to cry out vengeance forever for murder you? It just seems very natural to me. Okay? But where the blood of Abel cried out vengeance, the blood of Jesus cried out something even better than Abel. I believe instead of vengeance, the blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness. The blood of Jesus cries out salvation. The blood of Jesus cries out grace. The blood of Jesus cries out healing. The blood of Jesus cries out protection. The blood of Jesus cries out freedom. The blood of Jesus cries out wholeness. The blood of Jesus cries out peace. The blood of Jesus cries out acceptance. The blood of Jesus cries out provision. The blood of Jesus cries out righteousness. The blood of Jesus cries out favor and so much more. Because the blood of Jesus not only sanctified us. The blood of Jesus also secured the promises and set us free from sin and finished the work. The blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel cried out for vengeance, I believe. However you want to interpret that, that's fine with me. But the blood of Jesus, whatever your interpretation of what Abel's blood cried out, the blood of Jesus is better. Okay? It speaks better things. And we have a covenant. We have a covenant in these last days. Because he says in verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are being shaken. How many know in these last days, the one reason why we're going to have perilous times, because there's a shaking going on. Out of things that are made, the things which cannot be shaken, they remain. There's going to be a lot of shaking going on in these last days. But there's a shaking that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we have a new covenant that's established in better promises. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and not with fear, for God is a consuming fire. Okay? Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here. I have just a few more moments left. Let me just say this. When you, you will not be shaking when you put your faith in the blood of Jesus. And this covenant. I don't care what begins to happen in these last days that Jesus and all the apostles said perilous times will come. No matter what is going on, 
in our world, in our government, in our families, in our tribes and places, no matter what shaking may be going on, when you put your faith in the blood of Jesus, when you put your faith in his faithfulness, when you put your faith in his covenant, in his kingdom, that cannot be shaken. You're on a good and solid foundation. You will remain. But this covenant, this blood that we put our faith in, speaks better things. Okay? And there's a confidence that we can have. Now keep in mind, I just I mentioned a minute ago, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. We've been spending a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. Here we are in Hebrews chapter 12. What was spoken in Hebrews chapter 11? I didn't highlight that so much in this message. I kind of jumped over Hebrews chapter 10, all the way over, over Hebrews 11 to Hebrews chapter 12. But we have, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the heralds of faith. And how many of them went through times that their foundation was being shaken? Your faith, he spent a whole chapter talking about faith. And we can even go back to Hebrews chapter 4, that there was one sin that kept them from the promised land, and that was the sin of unbelief, which God calls rebellion. <coughs> if you want to study rebellion now, you can study that out, out, out in the Levitical law. God calls rebellion witchcraft. Okay? And I, I'm not going to go there. That's not my message this morning. But there's one thing that's going to keep you from the promised land, that's called unbelief. And he spent the whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 talking about the heroes of faith and how they went through many shakable things. But he, he gave credit to, because the just should live by his faith, he said that there's, some, there's something that will remain. And because, and he, after he just spent a whole book saying the main point of this book is this, He's talking about this new covenant in his blood that speaks better things. And we can put our faith in the blood of Jesus. And this covenant speaks better things when the whole world is being shaken up. And we have all, we, he even starts the chapter, chapter because we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. What witnesses? All the witnesses he just talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? And because all this is true, see, our main scripture that we we're trying to read this morning is about his body that was broken for us that we're supposed to remember. And we're supposed, and, and the new covenant is blood that we're supposed to remember. And we're supposed to proclaim, we're supposed to speak. Better things than that of Abel, speaking of his death, his covenant, his blood, till he comes. He's coming. But there's something that we are supposed to proclaim. There's something that we're supposed to remember. The covenant of his blood. And we're supposed to speak <coughs> better things. Proclaiming his death that speaks better things than that of Abel, till he comes. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how crazy it gets. I don't care how evil it gets. 
there's something we proclaim his death till he comes. Speaking his covenant that his blood is death till he comes. Are you following me so far? There's something we're supposed to proclaim. Okay. Because he also where there's a testament. And we're talking about his death. Where there's a death, this covenant is in full force. And because this covenant is in full force, we can't proclaim this death till he comes. Because it speaks better things than that of Abel. Are you following me so far? Okay. We, because, I, I mean, this is a whole message. I talked about this a couple of years ago. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we also speak of better things than that of Abel. And we also speak his death, his covenant, his blood till he comes. We proclaim and we speak our promises that have been secured by his blood. We we proclaim and speak our inheritance. It's an eternal inheritance. We speak and proclaim our eternal redemption, our salvation that we have in Jesus. We come to, so I want to remind you that we have come to the Mount. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We haven't come to the law. We're under a new priesthood. We're under a new law. Under a new covenant, establishing better promises. And we come to this map. We come to this city of the living God, to, who is heavenly Jerusalem. Who is, uh, we come to an innumerable company of angels. He started the whole chapter, the whole book, talking about how Jesus is greater than angels. And how angels are ministering spirits. I don't have time to go there. To the general assembly of the church. Of the firstborn, who's the firstborn? Jesus, who are registered in heaven. We're already we're already sanctified. We're already made 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 righteous. To God, the Judge, we've come to God. How do we come to God? Because Jesus opened the curtain. He broke the veil. He gave us full access to God Himself, to His throne of grace, receiving mercy and help in our time of need. We have come to the Spirit of just man made perfect. He just finished. He just. This is talking about Hebrews 11, all these just men made perfect. And we come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, we don't come to, we don't come to the mountain where we are afraid of voice but we come to all these things and ultimately we come to Jesus whose voice speaks better things than that of evil okay sorry I'm just going to I don't want to miss something in my notes I'm trying to go faster we don't come to the law we don't come to Mount Sinai but we come to Jesus And the new covenant. And his blood. His blood. That speaks about a better thing than that of Abel. 
See, in the Old Testament, Cain, it goes on to say, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield strength in you. You'll be a fish, you'll be a vagabond. Well, we've been redeemed. Abel's blood cried out to God. And there was, a, there was punishment. There was judgment. There was condemnation that took place. But Jesus has reversed the curse. Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, instead of the ground no longer yielding to us. If you read the story, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. And if you read the story, I thought I had it in my notes here, but in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus says he redeemed us by his blood, and he's made us kings and priests that we should reign on the earth. The earth is no longer withholding stuff from us because Jesus has avenged the blood of Abel through the cross. And Jesus, whose glory fills the earth, and we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the song of heaven changed in Revelation chapter 5. When they said that we've been redeemed by his blood and he's made us as kings and priests that we should reign on the earth proclaiming his death till he comes. I don't know if you're, trying, you're getting what I'm trying to convey here, but we have a voice. We are living epistles, not written by ink, but we're written by the blood of Jesus from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we have something to preach. We have something to believe. We have something to speak. We have something to proclaim. No matter how politically correct we become in our society today. And I hate that phrase. Sin will be sin. And blood will be blood. Eternal life is eternal life. And his, the covenant of his blood. I hope I had it on here. No, I don't have it here. I should have it right here. The covenant of his blood. Cannot be shaken. I don't care what begins to shake in our world, in your country, in this country, in all the countries that are on the brink of World War III in so many different ways. No matter what shakes in this planet, we have a kingdom, we have a covenant, and we have a salvation that cannot be shaken. Because his scepter. It's a scepter of righteousness and the scepter of his kingdom. Okay? The blood of Jesus speaks better things. It speaks mercy. It speaks grace. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks reconciliation. It speaks blessing. It speaks freedom. It speaks healing. It speaks provision. It speaks Salvation and peace and on and on and on. The blood of Jesus speaks. We have victory in Jesus, our Savior, forever. See, but he goes on to say, he concludes it. See that you not, do not refuse him who speaks. The blood of Abel spoke. God didn't refuse it. 
Maybe they had a hard time when God spoke at Mount Sinai. But we're not at Mount Sinai. We're at a different mountain. Okay? But see, they did not refuse him who speaks. For if they, if, they, if they did not escape him who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape. He started the book off by saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We shall not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, the true tabernacle, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Okay? For I will, because he said in the Old Covenant, actually I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on here. Sorry, I just, need to, I, need, I just need to catch up with myself here for a moment. I know I'm over time. Just hold on. Let me get these thoughts out. Okay. Let me go back here for a moment. How many know that Jesus, God answers by the blood? God doesn't answer the man. God answers by the blood. And whatever you need is in the blood. His blood speaks. It's sprinkled upon us, his people. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. But when this was written, what I have on the screen, see that you do not refuse him who spoke, who speaks from heaven, because of how will we escape him? They did not escape from him who spoke on earth. Okay? The context. Says that don't re if they if they refuse God who spoke in the Old Testament because where was the Old Testament given where was the Old Covenant given on Mount Sinai okay and that's what he's been talking about in context okay but there's a greater warning here that much more shall we not escape. If we reject his grace. If we reject his grace. It's called the sin of unbelief that he talked about earlier in the, in the whole book. The one sin that kept him from the promised land. That he called rebellion. See the law by no means clears the guilty even to the third and fourth generation. You can read about that. In the book of Exodus and also in the book of Leviticus. But grace, grace teaches us that he's merciful to our unrighteousness. And he doesn't remember our law of these no more. Grace doesn't remember our sins. The law teaches that he will not clear the guilty even to the third and fourth generation. But the law is merciful. And our sins and law disease, he says, he'll remember no more. And why is this true? Is God in the New Testament soft on sin? Have you not been listening to this whole message? How that 
He who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteous of God. God not sought by sin. God poured all of his vengeance on Jesus for you. The full wrath of God was shed, was poured out on Jesus for you. God wasn't softened sin because he wasn't softened Jesus on the cross. God not softened sin. Because we're talking about the new covenant in his blood. And we're supposed to remember this. God's not softened on sin. But because you, you've been redeemed. Not with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father. But with the precious blood of Jesus. This blood is not cheap. This covenant is not cheap. It wasn't soft. God, the full wrath of God, was poured on this Jesus who made this covenant and poured his blood for you that you were purchased, you were redeemed with this precious blood of Jesus by which you have redemption through his blood. That's not cheap. The forgiveness of sins, which he echoes again in Colossians. Okay? But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood. This Jesus, once and for all, gave us eternal redemption. Okay? And for this reason, this mediator of a new covenant who speaks of better things, this mediator is a new covenant by which means by means of death. It was a brutal death. He gave us our great promises and an eternal inheritance. For where there's a testament, a covenant. Thereby means must be the death of the testator. And his, his death, his brutal death that he paid for, puts this covenant, this promise, this sanctification, and all the blessings that come with it in full force as we proclaim his death till he comes. Because with all things, we're purified with blood. And if all things are purified with blood, what do you need? All the vessels that you need to do what God's called you to do have also been purified with blood. Okay? I have, I, I could expound this in great length. Because we have a better covenant that's established in better covenants, and Jesus is the surety of this covenant. But if they rejected the old covenant, and did not We can, don't, can't afford to refuse His grace. To refuse, in other words, when I read this, especially from this context, if we refuse His grace, it, it will be worse. Refusing His grace 
refusing this new covenant, refusing the covenant of his blood, is the worst rebellion that you could ever do. Because the only reason why you go to hell is because you rejected Jesus. Colossians says it this way, For it pleased the Father, that him all the fullness of God should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in the heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And I'm trying to close this out. I know I'm just about ten minutes over. You know, let me just say something here. There are a lot of those who preach universalism, which we do not preach, use this verse to justify their belief that God has just reconciled all things, meaning everyone's saved, or everyone's not saved. Okay? Because if you continue to read the context, of Colossians chapter 1, you will still see that we still have to believe. Okay. Jesus did die on the cross to reconcile all people to himself. And another way I can elaborate on this, besides just the context, if you were to study this phrase, all things, it's in the neuter sense, as far as gender. It's not masculine. It's not feminine. It's neuter. See, when God says all things, and he says it in the masculine sense, he means all mankind. But this is in the neuter sense. Okay? And that's significant in the, in the original language. Because it's not, so he's not talking about all people. He's talking about all I'm hoping I can just, I don't, I don't want to leave this with confusion. Let's read it in context. Let's read at least these verses. What please the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in the heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. In context, if you read, I should have put that on the screen here. We also have to believe. We have to put faith in his grace. And those who believe, yes, he by him have reconciled all things to himself. And if you study this out, I don't have time to, I've said, if you put a lot of my last teachings together, not just this teaching, but my, all my last teachings together, especially the one where I talked about how we have such a great salvation. All things also include healing, if you need healing, provision, if you need provision, and other, other things. I'm trying to get this out without being confusing, without going much longer than I am. But how many of you know, let me say it this way, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And just as in the Old Testament, his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Going back to the first Passover, the first Passover, remember, in Exodus chapter 12, it says that they were to sprinkle the blood 
with hyssop on the doorpost. Hyssop is like a little branch, it's like a little plant. They didn't paint it on, they sprinkled it on. How many know that one drop of the blood of Jesus is enough? Another way of looking at this is that when they put the blood on the tabernacle, on the, on the, on the, on the mercy seat with hyssop, and on the doorposts in Exodus chapter 12, which is the first Passover. This sprinkling, the, this blood of sprinkling, which I wish I had that verse on the screen again. It says that it speaks of better things. This blood of sprinkling speaks of better things than that of Abel. Sprinkling means an application. It, it, we're applying it. The point I'm trying to get to, folks, which I'm running out of time, is that we can sprinkle the blood of Jesus. We can apply the blood of Jesus to anything that we need for his glory and for his honor. Are those things redeemed? No. I'm not teaching that other thing to redeem, your dog redeemed, this redeemed, your plant redeemed, your house redeemed. No. But we can apply the blood of Jesus to whatever we need. Okay, I'm just going to forego my, the, the, the verses on the screen. Probably I'm making sense of what I'm trying to convey here as we close out, because I'm way over time. This blood of Jesus that speaks better things than that of Abel. See, if in the Old Testament they could sprinkle the book and the people and all of the instruments, do everything that God has called us to do. Am I saying those things are sanctified in the sense that they're redeemed? No, I'm not teaching that. But I am saying that whatever we touch, whatever we put our hands to, whatever we apply for his purpose, I don't have time to, I open a can of worms, I don't have time to, to elaborate on. But we can anoint it for God's purpose. And we can anoint the blood of Jesus over those things. Our finances, our bodies, the assets God has given us for his glory and for his honor and for his kingdom. I hope this makes sense. But let me just end with our key verse here. We're talking about the new covenant in his blood. We have a covenant. And there's a lot of things that I even are saying here at the ending that are included in this covenant. We have an inheritance. And he has, there's nothing that God, no good thing that God has withheld from us. We have a better covenant as a better promises. Because the blood of Jesus speaks, you can speak to things. You can speak to your mountain. 
You can bless your kids. You can bless your business. You can bless your home. You can bless your finances. You can bless those things because this blood of Jesus, it speaks. That's what I'm trying to convey. I didn't have enough time to develop that. In these last days, we have a kingdom of resources that cannot be shaken, no matter what happens in the world. And we are living on better promises. We have a new hope. Amen. God bless you guys. I'm way over time. Thank you for your patience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week as we talk about knowing Jesus.